This is Innovating a Bright Future. Welcome to the season finale. As always, I'm your host, Avery Kreibolt, with Innovating a Bright Future, where I walk you through the innovative and revolutionary technologies driving climate action and laying the foundation for a sustainable future. For this episode, I did save the best for last, and we were talking about something that I find incredibly interesting, energy storage. Today, I'm talking to Carlo Brovero, the founder and CEO of Storen Technologies, who are building vanadium flow batteries for the sole purpose of storing energy for residential and commercial use. I really enjoyed this conversation. Storen has chosen a field that will be essential to the future use of renewable energy, and to me, that is so inspiring. For one last episode, I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the show, Carlo Brovero. You are the co-founder and CEO of Storin Technologies, a New York-based company developing alternatives to the typical batteries that we're using today. Your products are vanadium flow batteries, which use a metal that's not typically used in batteries, vanadium, and a system of chemical solutions that store and release electrons to create that flow of electricity that we use for the storage of our energy. So what is the vision behind your company? Well, the vision uh, behind behind the company is uh, twofold. Firstly, there is uh, an environmental conscience, and uh, it is not only as a, as a marketing idea like maybe many other companies might do, but you know we really believe that our technology can improve the living condition of, of, of several people. But also the the idea that we can, uh, with our technology, support the transition to renewable energy in a way that's more efficient and uh, less environmentally damaging. I find this kind of sector, the energy storage sector, so exciting and interesting at the same time because it's something that hasn't changed a whole lot in the last few decades until we're getting to this point of more renewables, more personal devices, more electric bikes, everything that needs batteries. And it's so exciting to see this new sector and this new technology come to light. So with that, what is kind of the problem with battery storage as it is right now? The problem is that we are using a technology which is lithium ion or different lithium based chemistries, which is a wonderful technology for applications in mobility, like electric vehicles, mobile devices in general. And we are trying to adapt this technology, which, as I said, is is ideal for applications in mobility. There is a a technology mismatch. We believe that uh, other other technologies are better for stationary applications. And, of course, vanadium flow batteries, the one that we propose, uh, we believe is ideal for applications that are energy intensive and and stationary, where volume and uh, weight is is not an issue. At the same time, of course, we do not have challenge uh, lithium batteries in what they do best, which is applications in mobility due to a very favorable power-to-volume ratio. Yeah, so how we're using them right now, batteries for the most part, is things that have to be mobile. Even like 
more lead acid batteries or things like that in your vehicle or even like a remote control, like a TV controller, those things have to move. But that's one thing that we're seeing now is that the shift in how we're going to use batteries. And I'm interested to to hear what you think about this too, is with the renewable energy coming online and more solar, more wind, more government policies that's requiring more of these renewable sources that don't have the same storage factor as oil, where you can just have the oil and then burn it when you need it. It just creates electricity directly, solar and wind does. So we need to store massive amounts of energy in one place that doesn't have to move. Yes, and in a way, you have already underlined what the issue is. It's a mismatch between uh, renewable generation, uh, which takes place when the sun is shining or when the wind is blowing, and uh, the pattern of usage of electricity. If you look at residential, uh, normally families need electricity when the sun doesn't shine, which is late afternoon and evening. So that is the the great opportunity for energy storage, is being able to align uh, renewable generation and and energy consumption. Yeah, and that's something that we can't really do with lithium-ion batteries, as you said. So how are these lithium-ion batteries, how are the batteries that we're using today, how are those actually operating? There are two factors that I would like to mention. One is uh, technical. You know, lithium-ion batteries doesn't scale up in a cost-effective manner. I try to explain this concept because it's quite interesting. If I need a 13.5, let's use the Tesla Powerwall as a, as a benchmark, I install one unit. If I need 20 kilowatts, I have to install two units that would make 27 kilowatts. The cost double. So there is a a linear cost increase. There's no economies of scale as I install more more energy with with the lithium battery pack. Uh, Vanadium flow batteries have a very interesting technical characteristic, which is the decoupling of power and energy. The power of the battery is dictated by the size of the stack. In case of our residential battery, that is 5 kilowatts, while the energy is dictated by the amount of volume of electrolyte that we have in the tanks. Because of this decoupling, if I want to increase the duration of the battery, say from 30 kilowatt hours to 60 kilowatt hour, I just increase the size of my tanks and put more electrolyte. From an economic point of view, this grants an economies of scale. So as I increase the duration of my battery, the cost per kilowatt goes down. That's why for short durations, like up to, say, three hours, you know, lithium batteries can be contender financially. But if we need applications with a longer duration, solar and wind are two of them, you know, because the duration that I require the battery to address is longer than three hours, then, you know, lithium ions are not cost advantageous because they do not grant these economies of scale. Yeah, it's very interesting that you can actually change the amount of energy that you're getting from these batteries without having to buy a whole new battery. It's definitely not something that's being used in the batteries that we're using right now, you know. If we have a a flashlight that needs four batteries, you need four batteries. You can't have two batteries and then MacGyver a way to make those two batteries work. There's no exceptions to that rule, which is really interesting to see that because, as we know, there's some variability in how much energy storage you'll even need. If it's in the summer and you have 
solar power, you're only going to need to store energy for maybe four or five hours just to get from when the sun goes down at eight or nine o'clock to when everyone's asleep at midnight or one or whatever. Whereas in the winter, you can increase that capacity, you can store more energy so that you can store the energy that is generated when the sun goes down at four o'clock until 12 o'clock. That's a big difference there, and it makes it so much more versatile for people to use that in order to store that renewable energy. The concept of end of life or recyclability, this is something nobody talks about. One of the major differences between lithium-ion and our technology is that our technology is close to 100% recyclable. Everything can be recycled very, very easily without the need of specialized facilities. The electrolyte is eternal, so the electrolyte never dies. There is no cross-contamination of the metals in the, in the electrolyte, so when the battery dies, you throw away the old batteries, you install a new one, but you reuse the same electrolyte. Lithium-ion, unfortunately, are very polluting. They contain a mixture of metals like you know, uh, lithium, cobalt, nickel, and they require a um, specialized facility for end-of-life processing that is very expensive. The reality is that a lot of lithium-ion batteries end up uh, in a landfill situation with you know, very high consequences for the, for the environment. Yeah, that kind of goes with the next question I have about the drawbacks to lithium-ion, but I want to bring up that this recyclability piece is very important, and I actually did the third episode of this podcast was with LiCycle, who is kind of the leader in this new process of battery recycling. They're making it less environmentally impactful and easier to take lithium-ion batteries and recycle them in order to pull out those essential materials. But at the same time, it's less intensive than even smelting, which is another way to recycle batteries, which is very energy intensive, but it still requires energy and still requires money. And it's not cheap in either of those ways. So if we can find a battery that doesn't need to be put through those processes to be recycled and reused, then that's going to be very, very important and essential to the further development of these technologies. So you've kind of gone over some of the drawbacks to lithium ion, the cost, the recyclability, but is there anything else that is detracting from the effectiveness of lithium ion batteries for this utility scale energy storage? Yes, absolutely. And one is, is a decay, loss of capacity over time. If uh, we compare again lithium-ion batteries to vanadium, you will see the vanadiums retain 100% of their capacity throughout lifetime. Those 100 kilowatt hours, 15 years later, 20 years later, the battery is still able to deliver the 100 kilowatt hours. With lithium, and I believe this is an experience that we all had with our mobile phones or with our laptop computers, there is a chemical decay, a cross-contamination of, of the metals in the battery. Therefore, the, the capacity tends to decrease fairly rapidly. You know, For example, the Tesla Powerwall in the warranty document is already accommodating 30% of loss of capacity for over 10 years. This loss of capacity can be further increased if I discharge the battery close to 100%. Lithium batteries cannot be discharged fully. Ideally, they should be discharged around 60-70% in order to increase the number of cycles. 
With vanadium, it's a completely different story. You can discharge to 100% for the full duration of the battery with no loss of capacity. So that translates, of course, in, in, in another cost advantage. Because when I calculate my cost per cycle, and, and we prefer to use cost per cycle as opposed to cost per kilowatt hour because duration is factored in, we, as of today, are already probably 60-70% cheaper than, than lithium. That's a pretty incredible statistic. Even when you look at lithium coming down, you know, lithium batteries controlled by very economic factors and they're very difficult to extract and they're very expensive. So having this battery that can last a long time, can be easily recycled, makes it so much more economically advantageous on top of the environmental benefits. You mentioned a very, very important point, Avery, which is about uh, you know, forecast of, of further reduction of the cost of lithium uh, batteries. In the pre-COVID era, I was attending several uh, events. And of course, I was listening to this very bullish forecast about the reduction of the price of, of lithium batteries. Unfortunately, I don't agree with this for, for several reasons. One is that the manufacturing of, of lithium batteries is already almost a fully automated process where there is a very important capital investment at the beginning. After that, the you know, labor cost is very minimal. The only real cost reduction in lithium batteries can come from the reduction of the raw material, the metals that are used in the manufacturing. The manufacturing itself, in my opinion, does not allow for major cost reductions. It's now so fully automated. Metal, in my opinion, is the only real area where cost reduction can be, can be achieved. However, there's a factor, this explosion of electric mobility and, and EVs, electric vehicles that will gain popularity. In my opinion, this will put a terrible pressure on the lithium, on the metal supply chains for lithium batteries. So I actually see the price of lithium batteries probably increase in the foreseeable future until maybe the metal supply chain can try to address the shortages. Yeah, I do agree that everyone's forecasting that the price will go down, but it's tough to be sure that that's going to happen with the increase in EV use is definitely a big factor. I know that this is definitely something better explained with a visual, a video of some kind, but can you just give me a breakdown of what exactly is a flow battery and what are kind of the most important parts of that? Yes, absolutely. And uh, as the name flow indicates, there is something that's liquid. So the difference between a flow battery and other technologies are that the flow batteries have a liquid called the electrolyte that stores the electricity, as opposed to a lithium battery or to lead-acid battery where the energy is accumulated into the electrodes. The flow battery has two tanks. One for a positive electrolyte, one for a negative electrolyte, and this liquid is flowing, as the name says, with the help of two pumps into the core of a technology, which is, a, the, let's call it the magic box, the stack, where there is an ion-ion exchange. Very, very similar to what happens in a fuel cell. That's the major difference. So to answer your question, the major components are the stack, which is the box where the ion exchange takes place, two hydraulic circuits with each one pump and one tank, and this liquid electrolyte that flows through the stack. 
Very cool. Very, very interesting when you contrast that to how lithium ion batteries work when it's kind of two metals right next to each other. And then the lithium is moving through a catalyst and the electrons move outside, whereas a flow battery is moving the actual electrolyte itself and then exchanging the electrons directly with each other is very different. And it's very interesting to see that different take on how batteries could operate. So that's kind of how they are different from lithium ion batteries. My next question is, why vanadium? Well, vanadium, the vanadium flow battery technology was the oldest uh, developed. It was developed and patented in 1987 by an Australian university. Although there have been prior uh, experiences in Germany, in the US with uh, NASA, the vanadium-vanadium chemistry has a major advantage over other chemistries that are under investigation. The major advantage is that both tanks contain vanadium. Because of this, there is no cross-contamination of the metals, meaning there are no metals that migrate during the operation of a battery from one tank to the other, contaminating the other electrolyte. This is the reason why the electrolyte is reusable in a new battery when the hardware, after 20 and more years, fails. So when the gaskets fail, the membrane fails, the electrolyte is still there, it's still good, and it can be, it can be reused. There's no contamination. This is pretty much the most important piece of how this technology works. If you know one thing, know this. Lithium-ion batteries typically use two different metal sheets with a separator in the middle. When the battery is used, atoms of lithium travel through the separator and collect on the opposite metal sheet. With electricity being used when electrons travel through circuitry outside the battery in order to end up with the lithium on that metal sheet. The problem here is there's a lot of bonding, chemicals interacting with one another, joining and separating, and sometimes those chemicals just don't separate properly. When that happens, you can end up with lithium stuck to one of the metal sheets, particles from the sheets floating in between, or particles of any of the chemicals trapped in the center separator, which slows the flow of the lithium. All of these factors contribute to battery capacity loss and make your phone or laptop or even car remain charged for a shorter period of time. The vanadium-vanadium flow batteries that we're talking about here circumvent this issue in two big ways, both of which help to minimize capacity loss to zero for all time, according to Carlo. First, there are no metal storage sheets. Instead, the battery contains a solution of vanadium metal. This means that there's no way that materials unneeded for generating electricity can infiltrate the battery's charge and discharge flow. And second, and this is the big one, the cell only contains vanadium. As Carlos said, vanadium has four different stages of charge. This means that on one side of the battery, you can have a vanadium solution at 3 plus when the battery isn't charged, and on the other, a solution at 4 plus. When the battery is charged, the two solutions will meet in the center and exchange. The 4 plus will give electrons away, and we will end up with a solution of 5 plus vanadium and a solution of 2 plus vanadium. So there is no mixing of foreign substances or chemicals that can reduce the capacity of the battery. It's all vanadium. If some of the 2 plus mixes with the 5 plus, it doesn't matter because it will regulate itself without causing any damage to the battery itself. 
That is at least how I understand it, and I'm pretty sure that's right, but to be honest, batteries are some of the most difficult technology to understand, so if I got something wrong, please absolutely let me know, but don't yell at me, I'm doing my best. There are, of course, other chemistries under development. The uh, trade-off or the objective that all these research teams have is trying to find a chemistry that has the duration of a vanadium chemistry, but with a lower cost, therefore with cheaper metals. At the moment, I believe that there are possibly some promising experiments being uh, carried out. However, in my opinion, because of the exceptional duration of the battery, the vanadium vanadium chemistry is still still the leading one uh, in terms of cost. Yeah, I think that's very interesting how in lithium-ion batteries, you have to have two distinct metals because they're exchanging. They have to be different in order for them to interact. But with vanadium, you can have two different types of vanadium, if I'm right on this, and then they can interact and exchange because they're that slightly different, but they don't cross-contaminate, they don't cause that degradation, they don't cause damage, and then they can be easily recycled. Yes, absolutely, you're correct. And this is because of the natural characteristic of vanadium that can exist in different states of oxidation. So there is vanadium-2, vanadium-3, vanadium-4, and vanadium-5. So you have two individual redox couple in each tank, and uh, you exploit this ability of attracting or giving uh, one electron of the two redox couples. That's so unique, too, I think, that vanadium is capable of kind of interacting with itself in order to do this thing that we've previously needed two things to do. So we've kind of gone over some of the things that make these flow batteries better, the cost per cycle, the recyclability. Is there anything else that makes these batteries better than lithium ion? Yes, and uh, this is something that, again, is not mentioned very, very often, is that lithium is a technology that is at the end of a development cycle. There is still ongoing research primarily to improve the power density, so making the battery smaller or trying to make them safer or limit the possibility of explosion or fire. But uh, vanadium flow battery is a technology that's at the beginning of a development cycle. So in our opinion, there is still a massive room for technological improvement, for performance improvement through the development of new components, for example. The fact that there will be more vendors in the business, in the industry, supplying new innovative components will also drive down cost as well. One of the things that I think is important to see is that you know, it's a technology that's at the beginning, so with massive rooms for, for improvement. Yeah, that's a very interesting point to make, really, because you don't really think about that all that much. Like you said, it's clearly better in the durability of the battery. It doesn't wear out. It's clearly better in the recyclability of the battery, very easily recyclable. It is better in the cost when you look at cost per cycle. You don't really think about the future development because it has so much more room to grow than these technologies that have already been being used and developed for 30 years that are already kind of at their peak, where vanadium flow batteries are just starting to hike up the mountain, right? Yes, absolutely. You're right. And let me give you a practical example. Uh, The membrane that is used in vanadium flow batteries is more or less in a state of monopoly. More or less everybody uses the same membrane that's called Nafion. Therefore, I think the industry is welcoming or will welcome new vanadium membrane suppliers. 
that hopefully will deliver reduced cost and improved performance. It's still moving forward, which is great when you see these new technologies. So in your opinion, are Storin's batteries the future of energy storage? And if they are, why is that? And if not, what do you think is? Well, one thing that I would like to mention to answer your question is the target applications. We are a bit different from the other vanadium flow battery manufacturer. There is a handful of companies working with the, with the technology. We are different because of our IP. So we have one patent in particular that allows us to build very small, very compact and powerful stacks. Because of this, we decided to focus on an application which is residential storage that is often uh, neglected by other other companies in, in the space. You know, we believe that we can manufacture these uh, very small and performing and economical vanadium flow batteries for residential applications. And that's, that's the main differentiator. In terms of the, the, the future, well, I think that in a few years, a battery will be like a refrigerator, meaning that the majority of households of houses will, will have a battery. The uh, penetration, for example, of rooftop solar in the U.S. has gone from 2 million homes a couple of years ago to 4 million and is growing. Legislators are beginning to uh, offer incentives for the self-consumption of the own solar energy produced. So I think that, you know, that will be a, a major driver to uh, start off the installation of, of residential batteries. So one day every home will have a battery. Like you said, with the rise of distributed energy, rooftop solar, but also if you look at like community scale energy, if every municipality or small community within a city has a solar array and then either they have a small battery stack that stores energy just for that community or even every house has one, you don't even need that utility scale energy and it can be cheaper if every individual has it rather than having these massive, hard to maintain kind of utility grid scale battery storage. Yes, absolutely. And there is a beautiful experiment, a very successful one that then was uh, transformed into an ongoing program by a utility in Vermont called Green Mountain Power. They network together some residential scale batteries through a virtual power plant software. They managed to create this uh, network of distributed energy storage devices that work thanks to the software as one big battery. But in, in reality, there are several tens of smaller batteries networked together. The story of Green Mountain Power is a fascinating one, especially in their methods of energy storage. I'm going to mention it in just a second here, but for season three of the show, I will be looking at some of these success stories. Season two will be more episodes on these technology pieces, but after that season, the tone will shift to looking into a more narrative-based episode, looking at who have succeeded in becoming more sustainable in a variety of different ways. And, and it's fantastic to see that even, even utilities maybe are beginning to see uh, uh, you know, a shift in what is their business model. It's super exciting, especially those success stories like Green Mountain Power and certain countries even like Norway, Iceland, the Netherlands, some cities in South America even. The success stories are captivating to me, right? You love to hear them, you love to listen to them. And I think that's even something that I'm going to be putting into the show a bit more is just telling the stories of how countries, communities, 
corporations, everyone's making this work and it's working. It's working correctly. It's inspiring. Yeah. And also one other thing that is very inspiring is that the example comes or started uh, from northern European countries that are not normally associated with the strong solar production rather than, you know, if say compared to Spain, Italy, Greece, or other southern European countries, but they they actually led the way, which is uh, fantastic. Well, I think that's about all of the kind of longer questions I have for you. I just have a couple quick ones I want you to answer as fast as you can. Are you ready? Of course. All right. First question, hydrogen electric vehicles or regular electric vehicles? My vision is that electric vehicles are an intermediate step. Future mobility will be hydrogen. Okay. That's very interesting. I like that answer a lot. All right. Second question. This might be a little bit obvious based on the field you've chosen, but energy production or energy storage? Uh, I think they need to work together. And I think the storage is an essential part of the energy market of the future. I agree. Yeah, energy storage, they both need to work together, but energy storage seems to be the one we kind of need to work on just a little bit more because it's lagging behind a bit. I agree. Next question, just in general, nuclear energy, yes or no? Personally, no. I'll uh, give you my, my, my view on that. It's not so much the possible dangers associated with the nuclear power station, but if you look at the all the installations that were initiated over uh, the last 10 years, you have had projects where the cost seems to be skyrocketing as the, the, the power nuclear power station is built. There are also other costs that at the moment are not particularly clear, like you know the cost of uh, protecting in a, in a secure shelter all the spent uh, nuclear fuel. As opposed to that, you know you have uh, all these uh, new technologies related to clean tech, both solar storage, wind, that are coming down in price. So you have one technology that has a price that tends to go up, other technologies with a price that will decrease in the future. So to me, it makes no sense. Very good point. Yeah, it's one of those technologies that's lingered around as an option, but I think we can start moving away from it once these renewable sources are coming into play. Yeah, and let me let me add something else. There's a project in the UK for a nuclear power station. If I remember correctly, I think the installation is called Sellafield, and the, the company that's planning this installation is EDF, Electricité de France. And I understand, I mean, I haven't followed the recent development, but the sticky point was the fact that EDF wanted some kind of guarantee on the sell price of the kilowatt hours produced for the next 30, 40, 50 years. So to me, that's already an indication that there, there is a worry that at one point, you know, renewable technology will, will be so competitive to price out uh, nuclear electricity. The next question I have is, what do you think is the single most important thing we need to focus on to ensure in the next few years, we build a more sustainable, carbon-free, climate-positive society? I think the reality is that, like with, with many other things, we often expect someone else to take the lead. I, I believe that a, a more sustainable society often starts from the little things, which are the, the, the attitude that each one has when doing simple things. And I, I know that I might sound pedantic, but for example, if I move from one room to another, why don't I switch off the light in the room where I was before? I only need light in the room that I'm occupying. The same applies to, uh, for example, 
disposal, disposal of, of things uh, whenever possible, trying to separate different items and dispose of them accordingly. So paper with paper, metal with metal, and uh, and and so on. So I think that uh, each one of us has a little a little piece of contribution to give. That's a great answer. This is the last question I have, and it's a bit longer. With everything that you're seeing in the energy industry and everything else that you're working on, do you believe that we can integrate storage solutions with renewable energy in order to decarbonize and reach carbon neutrality by 2050? I believe it's possible. Maybe I'm I'm over-optimistic. But I believe I believe it's possible. The focus may be uh, we'll have to shift a little bit, or at least initially, from cost towards the greater good. So there might be uh, you know a point at the beginning where maybe using you know renewable energy is more expensive than than buying energy from fossil fuels. Again, is is something that we we all need to do to contribute, being prepared maybe to pay a little bit more to enable this this transition. In Europe, in some countries, this is already possible. You can choose from your local utility whether you want to buy a renewable energy or whether you want to buy energy from coal, oil, or gas. Again, you know, the, maybe the, the energy from renewable sources is a little bit more expensive, but that, I think, is the little bit that we can, we can all do to allow for this to happen. And there's no such thing as being too optimistic. Setting these high goals and believing that we can achieve them sets us on the path to work towards them. Is there somewhere that people can find you and Store and Technologies to learn more about this? Yeah, absolutely. We have a website called the Storen uh, www.storen.tech, and then of course, the, you know, I'm I'm always trying to help and to to answer to to everybody. Uh, we have an ongoing uh, equity crowdfunding campaign at the moment. We received probably close to 100 messages a day. I try to reply to to everybody. Uh, sometimes I don't do it in as quickly as I would like. But what I'm trying to say that uh, as as a company's culture, we are and I am always very very open to interact with the, with the community. I think that you know our technology needs to be explained, given that it's something something new. So thank you so much for coming on, Carlo. This has been a pleasure. It's been great to learn about flow batteries. You know, it's something I had quite a low amount of knowledge on before this. So it's been great to learn about it and see kind of what the future of energy storage looks like. So thank you so much. You're welcome, Avery, and it was nice uh, talking to you. We made it. We made it to the end of season one of this podcast, and what an episode to finish on. I didn't add too much to this one just because I thought this episode was near to perfect all on its own. I can't thank Carlo enough for coming on, first of all, and second, being such an amazing guest and bringing this topic of battery storage for homes and businesses to the show. I like this topic because it's important. We need large-scale storage of energy in order to make intermittent renewable energy accessible 24-7. And I also enjoy talking about this because it's constantly changing. Batteries, hydrogen, lithium, air, gravity, cold, water... All of these things are being researched as we speak, and I, at least, can't wait to see which excel and which fall short. There will be links in the show notes to check out Storm Technologies and Carlo. He's a great guy, and he's really good at laying out a topic so that it makes the most sense to you. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for sticking with the show over the last few months. 
It's been great to have your support, and I can't wait to keep the show going next season. As for what's next, there will be one more bonus episode, just a thank you and updates for what's coming up, what to expect and when, so listen to that if you want. All the essential information will be put out on our social media and through the email newsletter, so don't worry too much if you miss that final bonus episode, just listen if you like to hear my voice, I guess. Again, thank you so, so much for sticking with me. Thank you for your support. Even though this is the end of the season, don't stop telling people about the show. New listeners gives me a great motivation boost, so I really appreciate any effort to get the show out to even more people, even when there aren't new episodes coming out. That's all for now. I appreciate you. Keep supporting the show. Keep learning. Keep changing. And be loud about who you are and what you believe in. Now is the time more than ever. Let's keep changing the world. One kilowatt, one voice, one decision, and one action at a time. I'll see you next season. Goodbye.